Jesus. In that beautiful name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Uh, Barbie and I um, are going through a book together uh, by Francis Chan called Letters to the Churches. We, uh, we get together and uh, as much as we can uh, through the week and, and read a little bit. And uh, it's been really interesting. Uh, Francis Chan's an author in church, and he's had an interesting life, and he's kind of a crazy guy, but I like him, and, and the book's been very interesting. One phrase that we read this last time that stuck out to me, though, he was talking about um, the role of the church, the tribe, if you will, in the life of the son and the daughter of God. And he said that the role of the tribe um, is to... Um, Disciple, okay, very churchy word, disciple. We use that word because it's Jesus had disciples and he taught them and then they went out and made disciples. And we're told, all of us here that are sons and daughters of the Most High are told that we are to go and make disciples ourselves, right? Okay, so the word disciple uh, really, however, it just means one who imitates Christ. You know, little Christs are what we want walking around the earth. That's God's plan. Uh, to, to invade the entire world uh, with little Christ images walking around. Um, uh, but he said that, that discipleship in the church is uh, teaching ourselves and one another to be, and here we go here, independently dependent on the Holy Spirit. I don't know why, and I'm bringing that to you, okay? I mean, I don't want to flesh it out too much because I'm not even sure what it was that drew me to this, but this idea of being independently dependent on the Holy Spirit. And to Francis, in the, in the paragraph that he wrote this, he said, you know, the ideal is that you could take any of the brothers and sisters in a church and you could drop them in any city in the world and a little church would soon spring up right? Because they are independently dependent on the Holy Spirit. And because the words of Jesus are true, that when he is lifted up, he draws people to him, okay? Um, but regardless of that whole concept, I love this idea of being independently dependent. And, and I, I, in my own life, realize that the more that I am dependent on the Holy Spirit, and the less I am dependent on you, right? Now, that sounds odd because the, the weird twist of the kingdom is the less I am dependent on you, the more I want to be with you. Does that make sense? It really is. It's like uh, the opposite of codependency, if you're familiar with that disorder, right? Codependency is where you lose yourself in another person. Okay? This is uh, Holy Spirit dependency, where I have myself, but now I'm drawn to another person. Is that even making sense? Is this crazy talk? Okay, Maybe it is, because the Spirit's kind of like that, right? I, I want to be independently dependent on the Holy Spirit, because the more I'm dependent on Him, the less I'm dependent on you, the less you are dependent on me, the more we are drawn to each other. It's, it's, it's why that, that weird thing, Hebrews says, you know, let us not give up meeting together as, as the day is coming. You know, let's encourage one another. That's the whole idea. Well, it's not so that we become dependent on this. It's so that we come and we pour into each other. 
And that's the ideal. Think of a, of a Sunday gathering where we would come in and, um, and it's, it's not just uh, Ben or myself, which, wow, has this ever happened? You know, it's like a Spartan prayer day, but you never know. It's all good, but, but we're up here and we're praying and you're having, but the ideal Sunday is where we come in and, and we're just praying over each other and we're speaking truth and encouragement and love into one another. And, and we have relationships that are strong enough and secure enough in ourselves and in others that we can speak sometimes hard things into each other and receive hard things about ourselves. I mean, to think, I, you know, I want to come and gather with the body because it makes me a better person. I can't wait to get there and see what, what is going to happen. You know, expectancy. Amazing things should happen. Again, it's this idea of... A, I think this is, you know, this is really Alan's fault at one of the board meetings we had. And, you know, they name them board meetings for a good reason, okay, usually. But, but we try and do the best we can. And, and one particular one, Alan just kind of spoke up and was like read a passage out of Ephesians about this. And he said, you know, expecting things from God. This is the creator God. This is the God who when we woke up this morning and looked out our window, we saw something beautiful. Now, I know Ohio snow. Trust me, I know, okay? So maybe my first reaction was, ugh, right? But then I caught myself and I said, wow, look how amazing this is. God just painted the whole world. And I'm, I'm sorry, folks, but my friend out in California, I mean, okay, warm weather all the time, but when you see the snow in the trees, oh, come on right? Sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm, okay. 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 Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I've learned that the lifeblood of living this independently, or again, it's, it's, it's something that we learn together. Okay. I'm, I haven't achieved it by any stretch of the imagination. I'm on the journey. Okay. With you guys, we're doing this together. Um, but I've learned that part of the lifeblood of this journey is, is gratitude. Gratitude. I mean, Thanksgiving is not a holiday. It's not Turkey Day. Thanksgiving for a son and a daughter is our life. It is our lifeblood. Thanksgiving is the antidote to the poison of bitterness and judgmentalism. It is very hard for me to be bitter against what you have done to me. It is very hard for me to be judgmental about what an awful person you are and how great I am if I am genuinely grateful for what Jesus has done in my life. Okay, this uh, wonderful parable of Jesus. He says uh, to some uh, that were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. So really righteous, one righteous dude and one scum of the earth. Okay, so right there in the parable, you think, Pharisee, good guy. I mean, you couldn't, you know, only if the Pharisee were wearing a white hat 
and the tax collector was wearing a black hat. Could you be any more clearer about where the good and the bad here is in this parable? But you know the story. You've heard this one, right? The Pharisee stands by himself, you right? He's standing apart from the sinner over there, bad guy over there. God, I think... To do this right, you have to have a really deep authoritative, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, the robbers, evildoers, adulterers, lawyers, politicians, right, you know, or even, I love it here, even like this tax collector to my right. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get. And you, wow, what a great guy. Okay, so he's standing over there, and you know the rest of it. Um, The tax collector stands at a distance, and he doesn't even look up to the heavens, but he beats his breast, and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I, I heard one person say that this is the first of real genuine prayer. You want to learn how to pray, you want to pray the right way, then it starts right here. It starts, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And then the twist, I tell you, Jesus says that this man, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I realize that the point of this parable of Jesus' story here was to say self-righteous, humble, and the dichotomy uh, there between those two. But I want to point out the complete fake thank you that the Pharisee gave. Did you catch it? God, I thank you so much that I'm not like that guy. He wasn't really thanking God. He wasn't really grateful. Okay? There was no reason to be grateful because in his mind and in his heart, he earned it. He was, what's that word? In Titled to it. So if the Pharisee had been somehow transported before God and God is standing there as the judge, this is the kind of guy that would go, okay, which room's mine? I, I, I earned this, right? I deserve to be here. There was no gratitude. There was no thankfulness. He'd earned it. It was his. There's the parable The parable to show you that you can have absolutely toxic thanks. But you know what? There's other kinds of gratitude that it's not exactly ideal. What do I mean by that? How about this one? How about my clicker? How about the it could be worse thanks? Anybody pray this one Or, or think, well, you know, it could be worse. You're having a bad day things aren't going well, and to cheer yourself up, to make yourself feel better, you say, God, thank you so much that, you know, things aren't worse than they could be, okay? And it kind of works, but you still don't feel great because you're still having a bad day. Uh, One of the most hurtful things I saw was a picture of a homeless man that had a sign up and clearly very ragged and a homeless guy and and um, 
he had a sign that said, uh, be thankful, it could be worse, you could be me. And I thought, wow, that's, that's awful. What, a, what an awful way to motivate. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the, the boss at work who hears uh, the, the employees complaining, and so he starts to circulate the rumor that there's going to be layoffs. All of a sudden, the complaining stops, you know? The it could be worse campaign, I don't know. Here's the problem with this mentality. It's a complete lack of faith in God. It's a complete lack of faith in God because it still puts the focus on us. And it really doesn't trust, and here's where it gets hard, and I'm not, I'm not there's no fingers here. But when I say it could be worse, I'm saying, God, you're not doing a good enough job taking care of me. And that's hard. I, I realize that just saying it, that there are circumstances some of you guys are dealing with that are really hard circumstances and really hard places. And you're hanging on, white knuckling by your, by your fingernails. And to, to come to you and say something that, that just almost sounds insulting, like God has you exactly where he wants you. It, it, it's almost... But do I believe what I see with my eyes, hear with my ears, or feel with my heart, or do I trust in faith the promises of God? That if I empty me out and receive a filling of him, then God works all things for his glory and my good. Turn to Psalm 73. Psalm 73, page 414 in your Bibles. Page 414 in your Bibles. Now, if you're like me and you're not afraid to mark in your Bible, I have uh, highlights, I have a special, uh, really thin point um, pen that I use that doesn't bleed through the pages, and so I like to write in my Bible. If you're like me and you like to write in your Bible, then uh, right next to Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph, you could put in parentheses, the social media psalm, okay? So you, I don't know if you want to call it the Facebook psalm or the Snapchat song or just lump it all together or the internet psalm, I don't know, or the social media psalm. Or maybe if you're more like me, my trouble, I've learned that my, I, I say a lot about social media because Folks, that literally is the cultural water we swim in. Okay, I get it, right? Uh, but but it's not my particular uh, uh, poison of choice. Mine, unfortunately, and I've told you this before, is more of the political talk radio realm. No, I'm serious. I have to watch myself, okay? So for me, I'd put in parentheses the talk radio psalm. Here's how it starts. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Ah, but as for me... My feet had almost slipped, and I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So what do we have right here in the psalm? We have a guy that he takes his eyes off of where they should be, off of, off of the Lord, okay? He takes his eyes off of the Lord, and he looks around, and he sees, well, son of a gun, uh, Levi over there. He's doing so much better than me, and he is not a very nice guy. 
you know? And yet, he's doing so much better than me. In fact, he seems to have no struggle. He's got a healthy body and strong. He seems seems free from common human burdens and not plagued by human ills. Pride is his necklace, and he clothes himself with violence. Their callous hearts, from that comes iniquity and their evil imaginations. You see where it's the social media, it's the talk radio psalm, you know, you get on Facebook and man, every, why is everyone doing so well and I'm doing so awful, right? Or the talk radio, why is everything falling to pieces? Why is the whole country going to heck in a paper hat and no one is doing anything? Where are you, God, right? From their callous hearts comes iniquity. From their evil imaginations, they seem to have no limit. If that's not the internet, sweet fancy Moses. Anyway, uh, They scoff, speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. How can people listen to these people? Well, they do, right? I mean, this is the whole thing we think. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Now, this is his perspective, and he tells us that right out of the blocks. My feet almost slipped. I almost lost it. Folks, this is my paraphrase of it. Folks, I almost went off the rails here because when I looked around me at the wicked in the world and the evil in the world, when I started comparing myself with everyone else, here is what I saw. And I say that because of this, folks, listen to me that the wicked are not happy. The wicked are not happy. Those that seem to have everything are usually the most miserable. Uh, My uh, beloved wife uh, found one of our cherished movies of the uh, early 90s to show to Ariella. So this past week we watched, are you ready for this? Some of you are gonna, half of you are gonna go, oh, the other half are gonna go, what are you talking about? Ready, ready? Dead Poets Society. There we go. Yeah, see, I knew it. I knew it. Dead Poets Society. Now, if you haven't seen it, it's a good movie. You know, I can't spew some language and what have you. But other than that, now it's kind of heavy themes, okay? Heavy themes because, because Robin Williams, everybody, oh, Captain, my Captain Robin Williams. And, you know, by the end of it, there's, I don't want to spoil anything, but it kind of ends tragically. It ends tragically and very ironically, when you know what happened to Robin Williams. When you know the life of this guy that was heralded as one of the greatest comedians of our time. The guy was stinking funny. You just give him a mic and let him go, right? And movie after movie after movie. And, you know, he was genie from Aladdin, folks. Come on. And yet this guy that has wealth and fame and adoration ends up taking his own life. And I, and I get it, you know. Oh, mental illness is the first thing you jump to. But folks, the wicked are not happy. And I'm not saying he was wicked necessarily. I'm saying comparison stinks. Comparison stinks. 
And so this guy, this is what he sees, always free of care. They just keep getting more and more and more. And it's a lie, folks. It's a lie. Even if they get more and more, more is not more. Wealth is not wealth. It's just not. Surely in vain, verses 13 and 14, here is where our heart is. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure, washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every new morning brings punishment. Okay, This is what you get when you compare your life to others. This is what you get on a steady diet of social media and talk radio and all that kind of stuff. This is where you wound up. You wind up in a, my life stinks, God's way is not really good. Okay? And you really start to, this is a questioning of the Almighty is what this is. I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence in vain. I have obeyed you, Lord, for nothing. I mean, it literally is questioning God's plan. Questioning him, because God doesn't throw arbitrary rules on us. God doesn't throw arbitrary things on us. He doesn't. Everything is for our own good. Everything is to grow us. Everything is a step of faith. Everything is him asking, do you trust me because I love you? Do you trust me because I love you? Right? All of it is. And to say, I've kept my heart pure I've washed my hands in innocence, and it's all been in vain. It's literally saying to God, your way doesn't work. Because I look at these other people, they've got it great, and my life stinks. In fact, the perspective gets so bad, you think, all day long, my life's, I've had one bad day after another. And every new morning brings new punishments on me. So the author of this psalm's going off the rails, and he says... I looked around, I started to go off the rails, but then, verse 15, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, verse 17, the hinge verse of the psalm, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Even over the last part, which is, then I understood their final destiny, right? But even over that, the hinge verse is till I entered the sanctuary of God. One of my favorite old hymns to reference when I'm preaching, you've heard me say it several times if you've been here any length of time. One of my favorites is turn your eyes upon Jesus. Some of you know it. The gist of it is turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Why? Because the things on earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. This is just truth. If you're, if you're feeling down, if you're looking around and saying, man, everything's going to heck in a paper hat, then turn your eyes upon Jesus. Come in to the sanctuary. And I'm not talking a building it's why, it's why we need one another, because you know what? There are so many days I come through those doors and my feet have almost slipped. 
And I need to look into the face of a brother and a sister and be reminded of who Jesus is and who I am. Okay? Verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God and understood their final destiny. You place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, O Lord, you despise them as fantasies. Kind of funny in the day and age we live in where God is dead and and he's a fantasy. And here we have the writer saying, now the truth of the matter is you're the fantasy. Mm, Anyway. When my heart was grieved and my my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant like a brute beast before you. I want to comment something on 21 and 22 here because um, we have to understand when people are hurting, we have to understand something that is so true about ourselves, okay? Self-reflection time here. Folks, when I am hurting, I'm not thinking clearly, okay? Okay? When things are going rough in my life and my feet are almost slipping, I'm not thinking clearly. I love the description here, okay? Senseless and ignorant. The the word senseless has the connotation of kind of like a cow, you know? And if you've ever seen cows in the field sitting there just chewing the cud, anyway, they're sitting there chewing and they're just dumb cows, you know, even dumber is me when I lean out the window and moo at him. You know, I don't, why do I do that? Moo! Who's the dumb one? Anyway, so when, when we're hurting, when others are hurting, we have to be bigger than their hurt. Okay? And, and you have to understand when you're hurting, things are going to come out that are senseless and ignorant. God is so patient with us and he is so kind. We need to be that to others, okay? And it's okay. It's okay. Treat each other with kindness and gentleness. Don't take things personal. We live in a world that really is hardcore attacking, right? They're on the offensive things and things are just gonna get harder, okay? Folks, they're not angry with us. They're not. Okay? They're miserable. They really are. The world is miserable. We understand this. We act the same way. Let's treat with kindness and gentleness, which are fruits of the Spirit. You know, let's, let's turn, what is that phrase Jesus said? Turn the other. You get the idea, right? I was a brute beast before you. Verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you perish. You destroy those that are unfaithful. But as for me, it is good to be near God. For I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And I will tell of your deeds. 
I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of your deeds. If you ever find yourself in that circular lie of comparison, go to Psalm 73. Go to your refuge. Go into the sanctuary of the Lord. Okay, I've talked about that lack of faith. Now, I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I want to go here because the reality is here is where we need to be. Here is where we need to stay. If we really want to live lives of gratitude, if we want to have the kind of life that is toxic to bitterness and judgmentalism, a a life filled with color, if you know a person who is genuinely and deeply grateful, then they are wonderful to be around. They are. If you have known someone that tasted deep of the forgiveness and grace of Jesus, there is a humble joy that comes from that. I don't know how else to describe it. You want to be around grateful people. You do. You're drawn to them. Gratitude does that. If you want to be grateful, if you want to believe the promise of God that the life and the place he has you in is exactly where he wants you for his glory and your good, okay? That he is working, even if you are in the pig pen, God is working in you and God can do and will do if you allow him amazing things in your circumstances. If you want to believe that, if you want to know it beyond knowing, then we go to Ephesians chapter three, starting with verse 15. Let's go back one, starting with verse 14, okay? Ephesians chapter 3, page 828 in your pew Bibles. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, several things here. This, This is a pregnant passage okay? It means there is so much here. It's a deep mine of wonderful things. It's it's a place to go to when you're like the author of Psalm 73, and and you forget, and you say, my life is miserable. My life is so hard. I, I can't believe where I'm at. Don't forget who you are. That's Paul's prayer here. Don't forget who you really are. Don't forget your identity in Jesus. Don't forget what you have access to. Did you notice several things were repeated several times here? The first one, how about the word power? 
The word power repeated several times here. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inmost being. Now, what is this power he's talking about? Let's go to the same book just a few chapters earlier. Chapter 1, uh, let's start with verse 19, okay? We really should start with verse 15, but we're going to go at 19 anyway because it's right in mid-thought. Paul likes to write these really long sentences. I love it, but it uh, doesn't make for good interspersing. Here, anyway, verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule, authority, power, this is small p power, and dominion, and every name invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head of everything for the church, which is his body. Did you notice that? Appointed him to be the head of everything. What for? For the church. Christ is the head of everything for us, for the bride. Okay, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Sorry, I just got to rolling on this and I couldn't stop. Because once you get rolling on this, you can't stop. This is powerful stuff. What this is saying is that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter who you think you are or who you think you're not, Jesus's power is bigger. God's power is greater. The same power that we declare took a broken, dead body from a cross, took our sin, guilt, and shame, nailed to the cross, buried in the tomb, that same power that then gave life to that body, to Jesus, when he rose again, a power over death itself is the same power in us right now right now. You see, that's the big lie of the enemy. The big lie of the enemy is you, you are small and you're insignificant. And, and how could God care about you? And you can't do anything about your circumstance and your situation. These are the lies of the enemy. Now, our power doesn't look like worldly power. Did you notice that other power in there? I even mentioned it. It's a small p power, okay? Do you want to know what small p power is? Small p power is money. Small p power is political influence. Small p power is uh, physical strength. Small p power is um, the charisma to, to, to do, uh, get people to do what you want. It's all the things the world wants is small p power. Understand that next year in 2020, you are voting for small p power, okay? You are voting for power that in the grand scheme of things is completely inconsequential. Inconsequential. I don't care who slash and or what is in the White House. God's power is greater. God looks at the 2020 election, and to him, it's a fantasy. It's a dream, probably a bad dream. And you, you, know, you hear me on that? Now, the world wants to get us riled up. And oh my gosh, if this person gets in office, then we're going to round up all the Christians and put them in camps. And 
cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria, you know? I mean, it's going to be all this kind of fear tactics that's based on the lie that there's real power and real change to be had at that level, and it is a lie. Now, yes, vote. We're citizens. By all means, be engaged, okay? Big believer. I'm an American, proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. Now, stand up and... I'm, 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 by all means, by all means, but don't count on it and don't get discouraged by it. Wake up the next morning, whoever's in the White House, God, you are good, okay? Don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged because it's shifting sand. It's a breath, a havel. That power that raised Christ from the dead is what Paul prays for us, for us, that we might be strengthened by this power in our inner spirit, in here. Uh, If you knew me circa eight years ago, I hated Christmas time. I mean, the only thing I didn't have was more hair and the color green. And I would have literally been a Grinch. And I could, have, I could have sold you and argued with you till the day is long why I don't like Christmas and blah, 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 humbug and worst time of the year and hate going to Ontario, uh, tra- traffic, all this stuff, commercialized, Christ out of Christmas, all, th- I mean, seriously, you know, all this stuff. And a couple years ago, three, five, I don't know when it was, Suddenly, Christmas changed. I don't know what happened. I do know what happened. The change wasn't on the outside. The change was on the inside. Okay? The change was here. And all of a sudden, now, I really do like Christmas. I guess I really am the Grinch. My heart grew three times that day. Right? It's a good time of the year, and it's a good opportunity for us because we can go around and we can have smiles and we can bless people and we can remind people that this is a good season. It's a season of caring. You know what? Block out three hours of your time to go to the store for one hour and then let people go ahead of you in the line. And just say, hey, God bless you. You know what? Jesus loves you. Go on ahead. Honey, go on ahead. Go on ahead. You know, you see a, a, a mom, a dad, whoever, and the kids are going crazy, you know. Do, do what you can. Hey, I've been where you're at. I love you. You know. We, we have power, folks. Again, it's that power thing that we don't think we have. One well, one person. I'm just going out shopping. Yeah, you're a son and a daughter of the Most High, okay? I mean, you should not fear the darkness. The darkness really should fear you. When you go to wherever you're going to go, Black Friday, you know, go on Black Friday and just go and bless people. I don't know what that looks like, you know? God's going to tailor make it for every situation. He does that. He tailor makes it. Taylor makes it. Mm. 
Uh, power. So you get it here. Sorry. Um, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the holy people to grasp, I love this, how high, wide, long, and deep is the love of Christ. To me, this is one of those verses that, you know, I have it noted to go back to Romans chapter 8. Because the last verse of Romans chapter 8 says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And it goes through this litany of, he's trying to think of everything. It literally just doesn't have the kitchen sink. He should have added, and the kitchen sink in there. And it would have been complete. Nothing can separate us because that's how amazing that love is. The secret to gratitude is when we meditate on how great the love of the Father is for me. And I would say for us, because it is an us thing, but the fact of the matter is, I personally was made for Jesus. My, I have the image of God in me, which means I was made, TJ was made for God. And so I have to grasp in my personal life, that's why we call it a personal relationship, I have to grasp in my personal life, me personally, I can't rely on anyone else to wrestle with this over me. Don't trust the, the leaders of your church. Don't trust your brothers or your sisters or your parents or your kids or anybody else for your faith. It's yours. You are responsible for it. Okay? Don't think you're going to get to the uh, stand before the judgment seat of the Lord and go, well, TJ wasn't as good a pastor as he needed to be. Lord, you know, I know, you know, my, my faith was small and, and I struggled with, you know, but, oh man, Josh was so messed up. Oh, you're not back there. So I, I can't, you know. <laughs> Don't think you're going to get away with it because you're not. I'm certainly not. I'm going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, did you know how wide, how deep, how high and how far my love is for you. And I want to answer, yes, Lord. And it made all the difference in the world. Chuck Colson, uh, speaker, writer, uh, he actually was instrumental. He was called uh, one of Nixon's hatchet men during the Watergate scandal. Very ruthless, not a very nice guy, okay? Went to prison over the Watergate scandal. Goes to prison finds Jesus there. Should be a lesson for us. You don't find Jesus always where you think he's at. So if you're in a bad circumstance, if you're in a miserable place, you may be closer to heaven than you think. Chuck Colson goes to prison. He finds Jesus transforms his life. He has a passion for prison ministry. He's a prolific author, very good thinker, wrote a lot of good books. He's passed on with the Lord now. But he told a story of a trip he took to India where he went through a leper colony. And there was one gentleman there in the last stages of his leprosy where he had lost his hearing, he'd lost his sight, he'd lost the ability to feel because that's what leprosy does. Hansen's disease literally kills your nerve endings. So this is a guy that unlike even um, Helen Keller who could sign in her hands, she could feel. He couldn't even feel. I mean, there's an old movie called Johnny Get Your Gun. This is literally that guy. But in Johnny Get Your Gun, old black and white film, in Johnny Get Your Gun, the soldier who's been robbed of all his senses is in Morris Code saying, please kill me, right? 
And Chuck Colson hears this guy repeating the same phrase over and over again. And, well, it's India. He's probably chanting some prayer to the Hindu God. So he asks one of his pastor friends, what's this guy saying? He's saying, oh, he's saying, praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Over and over and over again. And this is not an it could be worse moment, okay? It's not. Because it's not about it could be worse. It's about grasping the fact, hear me on this, that if you have Jesus, it can't get any better. Did you catch that? It's about grasping that if you have Jesus, for you, it cannot get any better. You could sit there all day and try and tweak your life with ways, trust me, I can do it. Tweak my life on, I wish this person would act like this. They would do this. I wish I, sweet, I'm balding. I mean, I've got like at least the first hundred on my physical body alone, Lord. Come on. TJ, you are my son. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive and working in you. I have you exactly where I want you. This beautiful book is ripe with circumstances and people that we would think we were in the middle of hell itself. How about Daniel and Rack, Shack, and Benny? You think our culture's hostile? You know? I mean, they're in a place where literally worshiping the Lord is the death penalty or not worshiping the pagans. I almost think that the whole golden statue thing was, oh, worship God all you want. Just be sure you worship me too. That's, I think, where we're going to have to worry in our culture. You want to be a Christian? Knock yourself out. Just uh, make sure you worship at our altar too. You think we've got, I mean, you look at them, hostile place, God had them exactly where he wanted them. Or how about same time period, little Esther. Snap weasel, beautiful little Esther taken from her family. Oh, here's your husband. You know, an awful king, I want to point out. Brutal, cruel. I mean, to the fact that, you know, you can't even enter his throne room and, and not be under the penalty of death when you walk in. That, that was the whole shtick behind the scepter thing. When you entered the presence of the king, you were under the death penalty, and then he, by his lower his scepter, and you are saved, right? I can do that because I'm an American, you know? <laughs> king. Fought a war to keep the kings out of my face. Anyway. But, but what choice did she have, right? What choice did she have? She had the choice to trust in the Lord. That was all the difference in the world. When she walked into that room, it wasn't her under the penalty of death. It was the king sitting on the throne. He was under the penalty of death. Esther could walk in there in full confidence, knowing that no matter what happened, she was a daughter of the Most High gratitude. See, when we grasp how amazing God's love is for us, all of a sudden, the things of the world become strangely dim. 
And all I can do is say, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for the great love of Jesus. And you know what? Thank you that I do live in a warm house on a cold day. And thank you that I have a soft bed. And thank you that I have people in my life that love me, that are broken just like me, that don't have things figured out just like me, but who love Jesus just like me. Our prayer this morning is that the words of Psalm 72, if you flip back there, the very end, I'm sorry, 73, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of your deeds. See, a truly grateful person a truly grateful person will always have more positive to say than negative. Anybody better been around to someone that's a chronic complainer? Do you like being around someone who's a chronic complainer? Oh, it's fun for a while, but it wears you out fast. Anybody ever been around someone who's full of life, full of joy? And when they tell about the great things that is happening to them, it is not in the spirit of Facebook and social media. It doesn't make you jealous. It draws you to them. Because their whole point in telling you this is, come be a part of it with me. Come be a part of it with me. Not, oh, look at me how great I am. What's the difference there? The spirit of God. The spirit of God. My prayer for us this morning, our prayer for one another, is that we would make God our refuge. That we would make God our refuge and that we would grasp how high and far and deep and powerful is the love of Jesus. And that we would go and tell of the great things he's done in our life. I'm going to pray and then like every Sunday, I'll be down here. And if you need to make Lord the Lord, if you need to make Jesus your refuge and your strength, then you're welcome to come and join me. If you need to be lifted up, a place of encouragement, you're welcome to come and join me. You have something to thank the Lord, you're welcome to come and join me. You're welcome to come and join me no matter what. You can come down here and we can talk about the Ohio State game. It's going to be a completely one-sided conversation. <laughs> promise you that. But I promise you this, at the foot of the cross, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. And Lord, I know now that while I don't have everything figured out, I, I know it, it, it's all found in you. I want more of it. Lord Jesus, I want more of it. And anything that takes me away from you, Lord, help me to, to turn it over to you so that you can get rid of it or sanctify it, whatever it is. I don't want it to be a part of me, Lord. I, I want more of you. Lord, I want to know beyond knowing. I want to have knowledge beyond knowledge. 
it doesn't make sense, God, but there's something more real than reality itself. There's something that you know that you know it. 